Welcome to This Week in 40K, 40K. your daily dose of all things Warhammer 40,000. 40, Each day, Monday through Friday, we explore the Warhammer 40,000 tournament scene and bring you the latest news, updates, and opinions. We'll be diving into the latest developments in the 40K tournament community, discussing results from events, new releases, and upcoming events, and interviewing some of the biggest names in the world of Warhammer 40,000. So, whether you're a seasoned veteran or a newcomer to the hobby, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us as we delve into the world of 40K. Here's your host, Mufasa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weekend in Review of This Week in 40K. We have Adam Shepard on the line. Adam, how are you doing? I am good, Some slightly tired, but I'm all good. So Adam has just finished running a Beachhead. A Beachhead is one of the larger 40k events in the UK that isn't run by my organization, the UKTC. Um, you will be submitting points though, right, Adam? You're part of the circuit in terms of a third-party event that contributes to the UK rankings? I, I absolutely am. We um, All our events are registered with the UKTC and ITC, so I, I, I think they've already already been submitted Excellent. So for those who don't know, why don't you just tell us a little bit about Beachhead, um, how you got started, what it's all about? Yeah, so um, so Beachhead sort of came about, um, so I think um, you had run the LGT for a couple of years and that was uh, right, you know, right at your sort of inception and, and there were, as you probably experienced, there were all, all the big events were in the north of England or Midlands really. And there was nothing ever big in the south. Um, and I sort of, I, I originally lived in Salisbury, had moved to Port, had made friends with um, the guys that run Beachhead, which used to just be a bit of a sort of warming, wargaming convention. It was very much focused on historical, you know, the, the, the sort of old guard of wargaming. I don't, I don't want to do want to offend anybody, but you know, it's you kind of, um, you know, the guys who are playing Napoleonics and American Civil War stuff. Um and subsequently what happened was I offered my services to um, to the guys that run that event and said, you know, it'd be really cool to put on a big 40K event in the South just because there never had been anything like that before. Um, so we did it for the first time in 2020, just before um, the total annihilation happened and we all had a year out. Um, I think literally that it happened. We did Beachhead in that first February and then about a month later the country was in lockdown, so that was fun. Um and, and it's sort of grown since then. It's it's a bit of so ultimately it is run by a business, but it's a bit of a community project. It is very heavily backed by a large number of volunteers, um, but and it's a, it's a bit of a pooling of resource to get the whole thing to go. Um, but it, you know, every year it's sort of um, it's very well received. I think we very rarely have any negative feedback. Um, all the players, well, a lot of players come up to us at the end of the event and say how great, you know they've had a great time. Um, so we'll keep doing it for as long as people want to, you know, want it. I guess, but so yeah, far. exactly. And I, I've been down uh, to that first year. I came popped along, and one thing that I was really impressed by was, you know, not only is there the, the trade hall there, uh, but you also have an amazing venue. It's very well located in terms of if people want to trip down to the south coast for the weekend. Yeah. Um, but just in terms of the 40k event itself, what do you think makes it different from the other two-day events around the country in terms of things like format, terrain? You know, what what, what are the unique selling points of, of the Beachhead event? 
Yeah, so, so, so as you've said, like the, the venue is the Bournemouth International Centre. It's located right next to the beach. It is also, you know, a 30-second walk from a very large entertainment complex. Um, it's pretty central to Bournemouth. So, and Bournemouth's got a, a pretty decent nightlife. There's a lot of bars and clubs. Um, there's loads of restaurants. There's loads of just things to do. It's, you know, it's a beachside town. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's got as positive as negatives as all towns do, but it's quite a cool place to live and it's certainly a good place to visit, I think. Um, so it has that aspect, which sort of quite a lot of people take advantage of when they're down here and becomes a bit of a social event. Um, Beachhead's always been, however, it's not, not really through design. It always just seems to happen. It's quite a laid back event. I mean, obviously, on the, on the higher tables in the later rounds, sometimes it's a bit, you know, a bit more traditional competitive 40k. But on the whole, you know, ninety percent of the tables are very chill. I mean, uh, it's the same across most tournaments. I, I'm not saying that other tournaments aren't fairly laid back, but we do just seem to have quite a chill vibe. Um, we, we heavily, um, heavily encourage people to come down and socialise and go out for, you know, a couple of drinks afterwards or go and. I think we we went on Saturday night. We went and played like virtual reality darts in some in a bar just down the road, which is quite fun. Um, so there's that. Um, the terrain um, is is very widely used now. So the Goonhammer events kind of use it. It's used at Factorum for all of their events, and in Toyment use it um, in all their events in store. So you've most if you, if you've looked at um, online at pictures of events and certainly the beachhead events or the Goonham events, you've seen that terrain. That's the terrain we use. It is quite heavy. Um, uh, like there's, a, you can hide quite well in it, um, which I think probably encourages more of a competitive, uh, more of a sort of combat-based army. Um, I mean, the top, yeah, the top tables this year were all dark, dark angels, gene stealer cult. Um, and demons, which are obviously all fairly, fairly heavily combat based. Yeah, and demons have had a strong performance elsewhere in the country this weekend, which I will get onto in the second interview of today's episode. But just lingering on um, what makes your event slightly different is you famously kick the bucket out of the water, and uh, or that's not the right phrase, but you get my drift. You have a optional Friday night round as oh, well yeah. as running six rounds over the course of the event, um, which is for those of us that have been around for a while, used to be the norm in terms of having six rounds in a two day event. Uh, but you've mixed things up a bit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, why you do it that way and yeah, yeah. Uh, how it sort of impacts on the event overall? Yeah, so it's a good job you're on the call remembering these things, right? Um, yeah, so the um, we, we I think we the first year we did it, we did six rounds. We six rounds in two days is quite a lot for some people. Um, so and 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 I'm not I don't take um, I don't take credit for this. This idea came from attending Blood and Glory in 2019 when England were playing South Africa in the World Cup final. Um, and so to accommodate the guys that wanted to watch the rugby, uh, the guys at Blood and Glory um, allowed people to turn up on Friday and play round one. And that meant they could stay up and watch the rugby, have a few drinks, have a bit of a lay-in, and then start at one o'clock on the, uh, on the Saturday, which I really liked and has been a mainstay of our events ever since then, really. So essentially that just means if you want to, uh, t- turn up on the Friday, sort of mid-afternoon, play round one. It means you can have a bit of a lay-in or you can go and see the convention because you may, you know, if you're playing six games over the weekend, you may not get much time to get around the convention and see all the trade stands and see like the the uh, Titan um, Owners Club would do their mega game. There's so much going on around, just around the event. So it's 
good chance to go and see all that or you know dare i say it just nurse a hangover and turn up later <laughs> yeah exactly and it probably adds to the social aspect you were talking about earlier um well, we've touched on the social aspects, but let's talk about any um, any issues that came up. Were there any antisocial issues this uh, this weekend? What, what's, um, not, not from the players, no, no. Just the PO. <laughs> um, so, what, but what made this what made this event interesting from your side of things? Um, so we've you know we've now um, uh, we've now we're in, we're in Arcs of Omen, the GT pack, which is obviously a, a, a bit of a fresh meta. Um, we've also we we allowed the guard book in. Didn't really. Uh, um, I mean, I wouldn't say any of the known highly competitive players were, were running guard, but not, they didn't appear to cause um, huge number of, number of issues. I think a lot of people were quite are quite terrified of the Kazakin annihilation and Rogaldorn battle tanks and Lima Russes doing tremendous work, but and potentially because the tables are you know probably. Not incredibly heavy, but quite densely packed with terrain. Maybe that's why they didn't have such a good time. But they don't appear to, of course, a problem. So we've we've seen guard, new arcs of omen. You know, it's a new balance set. It's like, it's a bit of a fresh start, I guess. Which is it's, it always seems to happen for Beachhead. Um, we always end up with a new mission, GT mission pack, actually. So it's always a, a, a frantic couple of weeks before um, before the event to make sure we've caught everything that we need to. Um, yeah, and you sit at that firmly post LVO period as well, right? So absolutely. not only do you have people competing with a new mission pack, but also people competing for some of the first events of the season to try to get their scores up. Um, talking about people competing, uh, what was doing well in terms of the uh, player choices for armies? You mentioned already you had Dark Angels, Demons, and uh, GSC. So uh, who was using what? Who finished highly? And uh, tell us a little bit about some of the uh, podium players. Yeah. So across the board, there was, um, like I, I, I haven't um, looked at it in detail. This is really just um, an observation, but I would say there was a high concentration of Iron Hands players, but you know, then they, they didn't finish in the top, uh, didn't finish in the top three. Um, there were quite a few um, Demons players. Um, which, uh, as you said, and I think we all know that they, 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 I think they can perform quite well. Um, there were uh, what does surprise me a little bit is there were no, I don't think there was a single sisters player, not a single sisters. Yeah, which was which is which is odd because we I think last year we had twelve out of one hundred and eighty two, so you know they they made up you know a good a good proportion of the field. Um, so no sisters players, um, quite a few custodies players. Um, as you'd expect, they're a good good army to pick up and get going with because it's a small mod account. Not many Imperial Knight players either, actually, um, for whatever reason. So a bit of a, bit of a uh, different method than maybe people were expecting. So in terms of individual individual games that you've witnessed while you were tearing what would you think stands out as one of the more interesting matchups you managed to watch over the weekend yeah so um obviously um steve from vanguard played manny round four um and that was um you know as, as you get into round four five and six we obviously keep um keep the judges quite near the top tables because ultimately that's probably where you're gonna have you know Disagree, you know, not um, you know, there might be some questions that arise. Um, 
I, I would just say that both of them played that game very well. There were there were absolutely no issues. Like they both, there was no contentiousness whatsoever. They just played the game very well. Um, both in in and to be honest, in the you know in the spirit of the game, as I know it's a bit of a cliche in these days, but they were both absolute gents. Um, and it was it was only four points in it in the end. And if I'm honest with you, uh, not that I would have said this during the event, that, that, that game could have gone both ways. Like the it was it was that tight. So that was probably a standout game for me. Um, the final um, the final two games were quite interesting. So we obviously we had a I say interesting. One of them was a mirror match virtually, um, where Jay Seabrum, um, who I think is. Um, I think he won Best in Faction Dark Angels last year, didn't he? I think um, he did indeed. Yeah, he actually famously won two different Best in Factions last year. I think it was Grey Knights and Dark Angels in the UKTC. Well, there you go. Yeah, so um, he's not. He's certainly not a bad player who, who played Manny, obviously, um, on table one. Um, and I think, um, I, if I'm honest with you, I think Jay had maybe the slightly had probably the stronger list against into that Dark Angels um matchup. But uh I saw the roll off and Jay rolled it Jay rolled his dice first and rolled a two. Um and I th- Manny really didn't want to go first. Um so I don't know if there was any he, he um well he did a little ritual before and then managed to get roll a one. So I don't know um I don't know if he is magic magic Manny but he managed to roll a one. <laughs> and went second, which was quite big for him in that game, I think. Yeah. Well, he famously says, uh, you just roll sixes, bro. It turns yeah, out. Well, yeah. turns- well, apparently, when he wants to roll a one, he rolls a one as well. So, exactly. I, so- I was watching his dice, just to be clear, that there definitely weren't any, there wasn't any naughtiness going on there. He was, uh, of course, of course. Just lucky. <laughs> so, um, Jay and Manny played off in the final. Who won that game? And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about um, what the winner's going to get. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so that it's not fair to say that was the final. That was table one. So there were four undefeated players. Um, so the table to, and, it, and our and our um, uh, pairings metric is wins. So wins, draws, losses, uh, draws, losses, <laughs> wins, losses, and draws. And then after that, it's just random. Um, and I didn't, um, I didn't change it for any of the later rounds. So that continued on. So there were four undefeated players in. Um, Manny Chima, Jay Seabrum, Liam Calabout, and um, I have completely neglected to remember his name. His name was Nicholas Willingale, um, who had Gene Steele at Colt. Um, so those guys were on the top two tables, um, bashing it out for first, second, and third place. Um, Manny, um, as I think you probably gathered managed to um, managed to beat Jay with his uh, lucky one and Liam um, took a big win against the um, the Gene Steeler cult um, ultimately Manny managed to win the event because it went down to wins and then battle points there was quite a quite a margin I think Manny only dropped 19 um, battle points the whole over the whole six rounds so he was 40 points ahead of Liam in the end um, so Manny won it um, so he's won. Uh, he's won Beachhead twenty twenty three, and with that, um, the first of the golden tickets for the finals in Atlanta later this year. Um, so I think a cu- worldwide, a few of a few. I think there were some retrospective qualifiers that took in, but I think this is the first event where um, it's sort of been known as. I, I, I think it's, it's the first event where it's been known as a prize, um, which is obviously quite cool. It's nice to kick off the ITC season with that. Um, that accolade 
um it was all very um very last minute you know we we um we i don't think we ever really got a chance to announce it warhammer community announced it on the friday mid round one. <laughs> oh, interesting yes yeah, yeah. for anyone that missed that announcement this is obviously the warhammer world championships i believe that the games workshop vernacular is um world championships of warhammer the wcw um so for anyone that doesn't know, basically a variety of events around the world are getting qualifier spots and they're sending over players to Atlanta in November to compete to be, I guess, the greatest Warhammer player in the world. Um, so Beachhead was the first event in the UK to qualify somebody and unsurprisingly, it's uh, one of our few professional players. So uh, congratulations to Manny and uh, congratulations to you, Adam, on securing that spot. It's... Um, I believe you and uh, only one other event aside from the UKTC have got qualifier spots in the UK. So um, it really does show a testament to anyone that's looking to. Yeah, I, th- I think no, I think there's there's two. I think there's two. The guys at Goonhammer have got one. Oh yes, of course. And, yeah, three, and yeah. the um, the guys at Hellstorm. So. Yeah. So um, you know we'll wait and see where uh, where the other qualifiers end up before we can start trying to work out who's going to be in with the chance of winning from the UK. Um, obviously all of the UKTC events are also qualifying players. Um, so for anyone that's looking to try to nab a spot, we've got one up for grabs at Southampton on the 11th and 12th of March. I'm looking forward to it. You are going to win that one, aren't you, Adam? That's your plan. (laughs) Uh, probably not, but I'm definitely going to come and give it a go. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, just before we let you go, um, where can people find out more about your events if they want to get involved next year or any of your other events you run? Where can people find you out? Yeah, so um, month on month we run an event at Entoyment. Um, most of them are RTTs with a couple of G- two day GT sprinkled in. Um, in to- the Entoyment venue has twenty gaming tables, so we're never any more capacities at forty. But every month we run one of those. They're always um, registered with UKTC. I pretty much always post them on the UK Warhammer tournament Facebook event page, or you can check out the Entoyment events page on the Entoyment website. Um, the the tickets for Beachhead have actually we've um, in a uh, in a uh, probably a vain attempt to um, uh, cement the date. We've already launched Beachhead twenty twenty four, um, and in fact we put the tickets up for sale already a year out. <laughs> so if you really want to get prepared and get in early, then the tickets are available for um, purchase. Um, again, the, all the details are kind of on the Facebook event page. But if you search Beachhead twenty twenty four Beachhead Brawl twenty twenty four Facebook, you'll you'll find all the details. Um, obviously, by then, we, we might be playing a slightly different game, but Beachhead will continue in the same vein. Awesome. Well, you are clearly the most prepared TO in the country if we're launch tickets a year ahead. So year congratulations on that. Absolutely. Year well, a it's a, it's a, um, the truth is, it's as you know, it's a, it's a mad dash for dates. So um, you've just got to get prepared early, I think. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Adam. And we'll hopefully talk to you soon at some other point in the year after another one of your fantastic events. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, Zach. This Week in 40K. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. And now we are joined by the winner of Beachhead himself, Manny Chima of Glasshammer. Manny, how are you doing? Hi, bro. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really good, thank you. 
That's excellent to hear. Um, have you caught up on sleep? Do you guys get, a, you know, obviously playing 40K is a job for you. Do you get a day off in between the tournament and getting back to work or are you straight back in the office today? No, not really. Straight back to it. I mean, um, it's a four-hour drive back uh, home from Bournemouth for us because we're in the Midlands. So uh, I did get back at like midnight. So I have slept a little bit. Yeah, and Beachhead's obviously quite unique in that it's format, as we spoke to Adam about earlier, it's the six-rounder, so it's got an extra three hours of gaming, but it's also got the Friday element. Did you play on the Friday, or you just cracked on on the Monday morning? Uh, no, yeah, I just I just went straight in on uh, on Saturday, decided to Saturday, play three yeah. games on Saturday rather than uh, uh, play on Friday. I thought, um, well... To be honest, I still had a couple of models to get ready uh, for the <laughs> event, so uh, I had to wait till the Saturday. Of course, of course. Oh, well, that always happens when we're uh, you know, going through a change in the meta. So um, instead of asking you which models you were getting painted up on the Friday, why don't you just take us through your list quickly, give us uh, a rundown of what was included. Uh, yeah, so um, in my list, I had um, two Talon Masters. I, I actually went to an event the weekend before where I was also trying Samael out, but that was because I was trying Black Knights, but I found they didn't really fit into my list the way I wanted them to. So if I drop the Black Knights, there's not really anyone else that benefits from Sammy. So I dropped Samael as well. So I only had two Talon Masters as my HQs, and they were incredible. They performed very, very well. One gave an obsec aura of six inches, and the other one had the Arbiter's Gaze, so he can do a lot of damage and never suffers any modifiers. Then I had um, the Banner Bearer, the Blade Guard Ancient. So I upgraded him to the special one. Not very many people know about that. It's like a 15-point upgrade that means he can choose a unit in the command phase, and they get plus one to hit in combat, which is very helpful when my army's armed with Thunder Hammers, so they're minus one to hit naturally it kind of cancels out gives me some reliability and he has the dark angel relic where he can pick a terminator unit and they get minus one damage until my next command phase i also had a apothecary on a bike ravenwing apothecary and he had the decisive tactician warlord trait so the core units within six inches get plus one to advance and charge rolls which again when terminators are slow is very useful uh, i also had a champion on a bike, I made him the the big champion, the chapter champion, gave him the Blade of Triumph and Imperium Sword. He's 70 points, and guys, he's an MVP missile. You'd be silly not to take him in a Dark Angel army. Um, he's got like seven attacks at strength, eight minus three, flat three damage. So he's an absolute bargain for 70 points, and he hunts characters. The rest of the list is pretty simple. It was just one unit of five incursors for a little bit of forward deploying, especially for the mission where you need to forward deploy to get a... Um, a um, cp in the first turn then i had 25 deathwing terminators two blocks of 10 and one block of five all 25 were armed with thunder hammers and storm shields and i had maximum cyclone missile launchers then the final bit of the list was just three uh ravenwing landspeeder tornadoes and three ravenwing landspeeder vengeances in squads of one so i had fast attack as my compulsory because all of my elite characters get free slots on top of my elites yeah, that's a very interesting list, and actually, if you take out all of the free upgrades, the list is very similar to a list I've been playing for the last year or so, which is the Terminator block with the two Talon Masters. So you spent all the free points on these sort of additional tech pieces um, for scoring and just a bit of extra ranged firepower. So out of all the things you could have spent those points on, aside from the core of the army, which is the Terminator block, why did you make those specific choices? So um, I made them mainly for secondary choices. Now, um, the Terminators give me a great ability to be able to play Raise the Banners very reliably and also Oaths of Moment very reliably because it's quite hard to shift 
that amount of bricks of Terminators from the center of the board when some of them have minus one damage on them, they get a six of feeling of pain and I can bring models back. So it's hard for people to take them out the middle. So they really helped me do those two secondaries, but I didn't want to have just the choice of two. I wanted to have the choice of an additional two so that I had any four to pick from in any one game and I could go with the ones that would reliably get me the most points because as we know with Beachhead, um, it's six rounds, but 120 to 130 players in attendance, which meant that after six games there would definitely be two undefeated players so not only do you have to concentrate on winning all of your games you also have to try and get the most points you can so i tried to give myself as many options as i could on the secondaries and i worked out that if you have two talon masters and then you take six land speeders so the the triple vengeance and the triple tornado the vengeances are all very good high damage um shots quality shots that will help with codex warfare um, but then also the tornadoes have the same. They have assault cannons and multi-melters, which again are both heavy weapons and help with a uh, codex warfare. So I could reliably take codex warfare whenever I wanted to now, but it combos in the same way the terminators do that the land speeders let me do codex warfare, but also behind enemy lines. And that's one thing that not very many people saw. A lot of people thought I was going to take stubborn defiance and sit terminator bricks on like a center objective. Whereas I went, all right, I'll take oaths of moment, but I don't want to risk losing points on stubborn defiance. So I'll take behind enemy lines as there's a one CP stratagem where after a Raven wing unit advances, I can make it move an additional 12 inches for one cp meaning that my land speeder tornadoes even if they roll a one on their advance they move a minimum of 32 inches so i was guaranteed to get behind enemy lines for 15 especially when i have an apothecary on a bike and a champion on a bike to do it turns four and five after the tornadoes are gone so that yeah, was the exactly. idea is they could get behind enemy lines and warfare together yeah, I think this is you know the core of a good Dark Angel list at the moment, and Stubborn Defiance has been a trap pick for a long time, ever since it got that nerf, I think about a year ago now, where you couldn't pick the one in your deployment zone. I think it's yeah, sort of, yeah, that's the one. It's the obvious choice, but when you actually start working out how hard it is to routinely score 15 on it, it becomes a trap. Um, so, interesting. Um, you've mentioned, obviously, the Ravenwing Champion, who is an absolute scalpel, best 70 points in the game for character sniping, and he doesn't even have a gun. That's used for his job right so um <laughs> what um what other roles do you have in that list so you've got the terminators that sit in the middle of the, of the uh board you've got the fast ravenwing stuff to score your secondaries and um and you've got obviously the apothecary does see what the apothecary does do you have any mvps in the list that maybe don't have an obvious like role within the list that you've yeah so, playing with them like for example you mentioned the incursors what 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 in the list does a job that perhaps isn't obvious so the the incursors were brilliant actually and a lot of people were saying that you should take infiltrators and i do like infiltrators i think the 12 inch deep strike denial is um is great to have however the points that were saved from taking the incursors instead of uh, the infiltrators were what allowed me to take my banner so i was wanted to try the incursors out and my logic behind them was in this style of army i don't think you need a 12 inch deep strike denial because the scariest thing in the meta right now that is hitting people is a drop pod, like an Iron Hands drop pod filled with Melter and Grav guys. But I don't think I'm particularly scared if that manages to shoot 10 Terminators. 
I don't think it's going to do much. It might kill three Terminators, I'll grow one back, and they've lost a 300-point drop pod for two Terminators, essentially. So as long as I can keep my land speeders protected, which I can even with the 9-inch Deep Strike Denial, I feel like the Incursors are worth more than the Infiltrators for me. And quite often, I could deploy them quite far forwards and go from behind enemy lines, turn one with them, essentially, so that sometimes my land speeders could put max output out for a turn and not have to sacrifice one of them for behind enemy lines because I had the incursors to do it. But also, they come with a free haywire mine now, and that came in uh, quite crucial in a couple of games. Like, they got charged by a Redemptor Dreadnought that had, like, seven wounds left, and they just went, oh, two plus, you take three mortal wounds, you're down to four. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, my Dreadnought just lost half of the uh, you know, the half of the wounds it had left because I ran into some incursors and having that free hayware mine is really nice as well. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a tech piece that not many people have, have encountered before because when it costs points, it's hardly yeah. worth it. But when it's free, suddenly it has a utility. Now, yeah. you mentioned a drop pool being the scariest thing in the meta right now, but uh, quite noticeably, um, Beachhead didn't have any top players rocking the guard Kaskin list. Um, how do you think that your list would pair into a top player with a top guard list because we know a couple of the uh, UK head honchos were not at uh, at Beachhead and they are actively practicing these types of lists at the moment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, Mike Costello was um, was supposed to be coming down with a guard list that looked really scary, actually, with a load of Lehman Russ executioner tanks in there, mortars in there, and Kasakin, which is like that looks like it's going to be the core of every guard list and he was going to be coming down with that but he had to cancel last minute um but that was a list that i was looking at going actually i'm pretty scared of that so um because they get around your transhuman a little bit with the executioners and stuff because of the fact that they have born soldiers i believe it's called where every six to hit just automatically wounds you so they get around some of your survivability in that way and then the thing that the dark angels list doesn't like the most is mortal wounds mortal wounds really hurt elite armies and I don't have any protection from it, really, except for the six-up feel no pain from the Apothecary. <clears throat> so um, I think Kasakins would make um, a bit of a mess of my army. And the thing is, they also score their secondaries very well. So it comes down to what the board looks like, essentially. That I think that's what the main factor would be, is what terrain set was being used, and also what mission we were playing. Because I would need to take passive secondaries and see if I could win out that scenario. Because you can, you can do behind enemy lines, regardless of what army they've bought. You just catapult three tornadoes a turn after each other, 32 inches, and then your apothecary, and then your champion, 35 inches each, and you'll get 15 on behind enemy lines. That will happen even if you play guard um codex warfare is also a great pick against guard your your talent masters can't be shot back and they can come out and pick guard squads up every turn and then if i can the other thing is if i can take banners then and be able to raise two to three banners and hide rather than having to go for oaths and fight them in the middle of the board all of a sudden i've got three passive secondaries that can score very high so i do have a chance into them but it is a very scary matchup because, of course, they get around my toughness and I rely on my toughness quite a bit. Well, that's interesting. And I'm sure we'll see more of that coming in the next six months as both of these sort of archetypes start to filter through into some of our super majors we've got coming up. So in terms of any changes you're thinking about making to this, is this a list you're looking to play long term? Are you going to be tweaking it or is it sort of one and done for you? Yeah, I quite like it, actually. I think um, the thing that I'm liking about it is it's actually quite fun to play. I think if you take too many Terminators, I 
then think it becomes quite dull if you take sort of like 40, 45 that I've seen some people rocking. I think that becomes quite dull at that point. But if you have like the, you know, like the 50-50 mix essentially, so I have like 800 points worth of Terminators and 200 points worth of support for them and then like 1,000 points worth of Ravenwing. So it's having the speeders and the Terminators together makes a list quite fun to play um, but also gives you the most options. So I quite like it. Now, there's a couple of little things in there like the, like the banner. The banner was an MVP. So I was just trying the banner out because I was like, maybe I want to swap him out for something else if he doesn't do so well. But he ended up being an MVP and it's not just for the minus one damage. The minus one damage was nice, but it was that buff I was talking about for making him a chapter ancient. You can, when you pick a Terminator unit and they get plus one to hit. Now, some people forget that Dark Angels also get plus one to hit if they don't move, but it's just in the previous movement phase. So, of course, in my own turn, when I charge, I don't get plus one from the Dark Angel buff because I have moved. But if I get charged by my opponent, I do get plus one to hit because I haven't moved. So that cancels my Thunder Hammers out to hit on threes again. And then I get another plus one from the Banners buff, meaning that I can actually hit on twos with Thunder Hammers when I get charged. Or twos when I charge with them for one CP on the plus one to hit for a Terminator squad. So he actually makes my Thunder Hammers hit on twos and people don't really see that coming. So I really like him. So he actually won't be going anywhere. He, I, I, I was really unsure about him, but he's actually okay. Now, the one thing is I have 25 Terminators. I think 20 might be enough. I, I did find that my five-man unit didn't really come into play very often. The two 10-mans did a lot of the work, but I found that the five-man... But see, this is the thing. I found that the five-man sat on one of the objectives, either on the far left flank or the far right flank, and they just held that objective all game, and no one could come close to take it off them. If someone did try and tow the objective, they just went in and beat them up the next turn. And they were kind of like five Terminators that people couldn't really concentrate on because they had 20 in their face with the with the land speeders. So I'm not sure if those five Terminators need to stay because they fulfill a role, or whether I can swap them for something cheaper that does the same role and add something else to the army. Awesome. Well, certainly a food for thought there, and congratulations again on the win. Obviously, we're at the beginning of a new season, and you've got two tournament wins under your belt already. What are your aspirations for the remainder of this new ITC season? Uh, yeah, so um, thank you very much. I'm um, I'm super happy about getting two first places um, in the first two weekends. Uh, that's always, always a great feeling. So I'm really happy about that. And I I've managed to get a golden ticket from from the Beachhead. So I'm, I'm going to be going to the World, the Warhammer Finals in Atlanta. So I'm really really excited about that. That's a really cool event to be attending, and it's nice that I managed to get a ticket really early on for that. Um, and my aspirations really is to try and um, try and get into the the top five of the ITC in the world. Uh, by the end of the year um I, it's it's a really really long way away but um that's what i'm going to try to do you know might not make it but you've got to have goals that you you aspire to right so i'm fingers crossed hoping that i can uh, i can compete with everybody else who's at the top because we have a lot of really really strong players in the uk right now and, and all over the world that are starting to uh, come to more itc events more super majors but we have a really really strong competitive scene uh, here in the uk thanks to yourself uh, so that's really really cool uh, what you've been able to do for the community and it's really cool that these events are getting very competitive now and there's a lot of lot of top players so i'm hoping to be the top five don't know if i'll make it with the amount of strong players we have but it'll be really interesting to get really good games in again against loads and loads of top players yeah exactly i mean last year we had four out of the five global top te uh, global players were uk based so you know congratulations to them and um it certainly is a big challenge um you also mentioned the 
UK uh, the um, Warhammer World Championships in Atlanta. Um, obviously, you've already qualified. Uh, if anyone else is interested in trying to qualify, we obviously have tickets available via, via winning any of our super majors this year. Um, so if you do want a chance to be the Warhammer World Champion of the world, <laughs> come along to one of our <laughs> events. The first will be available at Southampton. Um, all right, Manny, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight and good luck with the rest of the season. Not a problem. Thank you for having me again. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. This Week in 40K. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am joined by Ashley Taylor of Lethal Dice. Ashley's just run his first tournament, and we wanted to catch up with him to check how it went, any uh, problems he faced, or challenges in setting up a new event in the UKTC scene. So, Ashley, how are you doing? How did the event go? Well, the event went very, very smoothly. Uh, I was twiddling my thumbs for for the two days itself. Uh, obviously, we did want it to be a little bit bigger for the first one, but it, it you know, still getting 20 players for the very first event we did was very exciting. Yeah, and I think I've said it many, many times uh, to my attendees, but probably the first time in this podcast, a good sign of a, of a well-run tournament is that the TOs should be bored for most of the time. Yeah. Um, when you're not dealing with any issues and all that sort of stuff, there's generally not much to do in, during yeah. the rounds. So congratulations. Yeah. If you were twiddling your thumbs, you've clearly done a good job. Um, the event, I believe, was called Lethal Dice uh, Catering, or what was the event called? It was actually Lethal Dice Chapter 3. It was the uh, kind of... Yeah, we did uh, a few one-day events beforehand, just kind of seeing if yeah, something that I wanted to kind of progress with, because obviously uh, the the level of uh, investment you have to do to obviously set up a tournament like this, you know, it, it, it costs a lot of money to to obviously buy the tournament, the mats, um, obviously hiring the hall, and actually, you know, I rented tables as well. Um, so you know, running those small ones kind of gave me the flavor of actually wanting to run uh, events, obviously on a two-day sort of scale. And that, you know, that's why we started, obviously, Chapter 3 as well, and it went really well. Excellent. So uh, Lethal Dice is a 40K team. Um, yeah. Anyone that's regular on the UKTC scene will have seen you guys around because I think yeah. you come to most of them. Um, <laughs> so um, what made you want to take that step from being a player-based team to being individually a TO? Uh, so obviously uh, going to the UK circuit ones, it kind of opens your eyes to the competitive uh, scene and um, I've gone to obviously loads of smaller tournaments where you've obviously got random layouts of, of scenery um, and obviously you get some very squiff uh, sort of uh, you know some games are really good because they're really good some games are really bad because the scenery is not there basically um, so obviously I feel that there needs to be more uh, tournaments where you have got those lovely boards that are matching on every single table yeah, I think that's a really good point. And um, there's a couple of follow-ups to that. One is, um, you know, the UKTC TC scene is not just the big super majors we run, but it's all grassroots led by guys like yourself, you know, that mm -hmm. are coming up, enjoying the big events and wanting to promote that within the local communities. Yeah. And obviously the UKTC is incorporates those results as well in our rankings. So, mm -hmm. um you know, it's fantastic to see people like yourself that have been to the super majors that we run and wanting to bring that level of enjoyment of 40k to the local community. So uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying thank you for those endeavors because it really is the, the beginning of it all. Yeah. Um, 
but um going back to the terrain issue um you're perfectly right you know most local scenes are based around the hobby store so they're using whatever terrain the store has um you've done a particularly good job in the run-up to the event of promoting your progress on building the terrain so well as well as advertising uh, what your apps are going to be like and the quality of the train. You've also done quite a good job on the social media of promoting an event. And for a first-time TO, um, I was quite impressed to see that you've sort of made leaps and bounds here compared to some other um, more regional-based TOs on the scene. So perhaps you could uh, talk the listeners through quickly like where you think your emphasis was um, in terms of building the event. Obviously, it takes a lot of time to assemble mdf but it's not the most challenging thing so well, as a first about uh, space actually yeah, you, yeah exactly. you start building it and then you run out of space on the tables and the floor or what have you so you you yeah, it slows you right down doesn't it really yeah exactly i've found that weather's you know if you're working outside in england you can get screwed over by the weather pretty quickly yeah um so you'd run a couple of one day events you made the jump to a two day event so for any uh, attendees that are listening that have attended some local one day events or tos that are running one day events um what advice would you give them in terms of either growing their current scene or transitioning into that two day style of event obviously uh my advice would be start small uh, don't try and go too big too fast um i think that's uh, a trap that you can you can fall into i was quite fortunate that um my my financial sort of situation at the time um i had the the spare cash to kind of buy a lot of scenery at one go um and that really really helped because it means that i could get obviously the better deals and, and obviously do it that way but i'd always say start slow build it up you know do you know maybe a 12 to 20 sort of player tournament first or and then try and do the the bigger ones because it would definitely make it a little bit easier on the stress levels of of getting that many sets uh, arranged and sorted yeah i think that's a really good point it's, it's not typical for people to be able to just take two months out of their life and assemble 600 mm-hmm. tables of terrain like i've had to do in the past yeah. so um my, yeah my, my partner was very very uh very very supportive uh obviously we had kind of christmas day uh where we was obviously celebrating christmas and uh, obviously her birthday is also on christmas day as well uh, and then we was straight out into the garage uh and obviously completing the the actual process of getting to phase three of the, the painting phase for the, all the terrain so you know there's a lot went into that yeah and it did look really good so congratulations there thank you um what did you do with regards to maps because you had standardized sets um yes. I haven't seen those those products before, but they looked, you know, designed for competitive 40k. So, what was your approach in terms of using the pieces you had for uh, standardized maps and and missions and that sort of thing? Well, again, that's something that's really really uh, important to to get right. Um, I think there's a few things I've taken away from the first event that I'm going to change with the layouts a little bit. It's more tweaks than anything else. But yeah, when you you're, you're you basically obviously get your mat out, you get your train out, and then you've got to figure about what people are going to be bringing to tournaments. So obviously, you know, land raiders, knights, uh, they've got to be able to move around all the different pieces, but you're going to want to have enough cover for smaller units to get up close and, and obviously pop out. Um, we, we were quite, I think it was quite fortunate that obviously both myself and, and Byron was obviously, uh, as you well, you know him very well, um, we, we've spent a lot of time kind of talking over the, the layouts and getting them right. And I think that really did pay off for this weekend. Yeah, exactly. And I think this pays dividends to the, the endeavor that we've been trying to push at the UKTC, which is a standardized high quality gaming environment. And it's yep. not just in our events, it's obviously filtered through to the 
greater organized play community. So it's great to see that you're taking that philosophy, but doing it in your own way, which, you know. Well, there was one other thing that was very important to myself was actually trying to make the layouts actually look like a real cityscape as well. Uh, so obviously, you know, you, you could always have buildings at you know, very odd angles to others, but you generally don't get that all the time. Uh, so we tried to minimize it. So you did have those like roads kind of going through and and then there was buildings like blocking slightly off the next part and it, it worked. Um, so I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a good point because recently, obviously, Frontline Gaming have come under some legitimate criticism about mm. their terrain. And Reese's response has been quite fair in terms of he says, look, I don't like L shapes everywhere. I want my tables to feel like a battlefield and be thematic, mm -hmm. which is a fair point. Problem with that point is exactly what you just said, which is you can have standardized organized play designed maps that still feel like a battlefield. And yeah. it's just, uh, you know, takes a bit of effort. So, um, Congratulations on trying to do that. Um, obviously, every event has a winner. So let's round off the interview by asking, well, how did the event go from a player perspective? What did well? Who won? And uh, you know, what are your predictions for the next Lethal Dice event? Well, obviously, it was really, really good that we had um, you know two uh, members of the team get uh, second and third place, which is obviously Chuck and Joe. Um, the, the very final matchup on round five was against uh, Luke Townsend um, and uh, Joe, both with Demon Armies. Uh, it was, uh, you know, quite an interesting matchup to actually, you know, I had to obviously pitch in, have a look and then move on to the other tables. So I didn't get to see the entire game. Uh, but yeah, there's only one person that actually got five wins, which was Luke. Um, and, you know, it was actually really quite good that all the, the, the top three players did score very highly in each of their games. So I don't think there's actually, like, looking back at it, I'm just looking down the, the score sheets, funny enough, doesn't look like many people were scoring very lowly in the entire top, the entire tournament. So, uh, yeah. So that shows, well. you know, that uh, Arcs of Omen is doing really well, yes. promoting good yeah. secondaries for lots of armies. Also interesting that you had a Demons versus Demons finale because obviously we spoke to Adam earlier in this episode where they oh. had a Dark Angel, Dark Angel finale down at right. Beachhead. So... Yeah, well, it's quite quite interesting. In all fairness, we had what, four Tau players um, at the event. No Astro Militarum. I was quite you know sad about that, being a, a guard player myself. Uh, but yeah, it was it was two demon players and uh, uh, Chuck. He actually brought sisters, um, so he he smashed all the way through until pretty much the very end. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's some very very good matchups, and uh, you know very very happy with the actual um, player quality. To be completely honest, that was something that was also very, very good to see. You had like two, sorry, three members of Six Plus Plus with us, um, and obviously there was you know, nine players from Lethal Dice. But that's going to happen at my own event, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, um, the player skill generally in the UK has gone gone up to a you know a whole mm -hmm. other level, which we'll be talking to uh, Vic VJ about tomorrow. Um, Ashley, when is the next Lethal Dice events? Have you got a date in the diary yet? I you want to promote? don't, unfortunately. No, I wanted to see how the uh, the event went before I actually confirmed up any new dates. Because obviously it was brand new kind of venue. Um, so we never used the venue. I'd never hired tables before. So everything was very, very fresh. So I'm actually organizing it now. So before we came on to this, this chat, uh, I was actually sending the emails off to the venue uh, to obviously get some dates uh, kind of viewed in. But I'm going to be doing a few one-day events um, in the coming months. 
Um, and then I will probably be looking at doing my next two-day event probably sometime after the LGT. Awesome. So if people want to follow you, make sure they get tickets, where can they go to find out more well, about the, your events? The best place to keep on, on top of us is actually on, on Facebook at the moment. So we've got um, a Facebook group that's open to everyone to join. Uh, obviously, it's uh, Lethal Dice Gaming Group. Uh, so anyone can join that and they can see obviously the progress of obviously the the, the actual the guys uh, what we're doing um obviously the tournaments that we're going to because that'll be all going on there as well um i'm currently developing the web page as well so everything's going to be on there and obviously uh, all my events will be listed on um you know the, the warhammer tournament web page as well because i always get myself uh, put on there so you can see that on the calendar Excellent. So if anyone's looking for a one-dayer or a two-dayer later in the year, they can check out your events. They're mm-hmm. based primarily around the, is it called the South Midlands? It's the Kettering Northampton area, it's, right? Yeah, it's Kettering Northamptonshire, yeah. So uh, that's that's my main, my base of operations. Um, obviously, there's nothing stopping me from moving a little bit further afield to get some more player base, but at the moment, it's definitely going to be um, in the, uh, the Kettering area for now. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us, Ashley, and good luck Thank in the future. Thank you for tuning in to This Week in 40K. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to find out more about what we talked about today or to get in touch with us, be sure to visit our website at www.twi40k.com. We would also really appreciate it if you would help us spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and recommending us to all your gaming buddies. And of course, don't forget to subscribe for more great content from This Week in 40K. We'll be back next week with even more news, updates, and opinions from the world of Warhammer 40,000. Until next time, thanks for listening.